Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson, the most hated libertarian out there with me as always, the one who knows just about everything is there is to know, the beloved Nathaniel Paul Thurston, who apparently is on the right side of right. Of everything. Of yeah. everything. After yesterday's episode, you probably are the most hated libertarian out there with all that mess you were spreading out there that's why i'm just trying to give people the truth and make them think (laughs) and you know it's people don't like the truth yeah that's what i've learned especially when it's wrong (laughs) 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 um this just in by the way a jury has found the three men guilty in the uh, ahmaud arbery hate crimes case so not only did they already get found guilty but now they went to a federal hate crimes trial and they were found guilty of hate crimes as well which I think is BS. Yeah. Just uh, wanted to go ahead and get that out there. You sh- should not place a higher value on someone's life based on the skin color of the person that was killed or the people that killed them. Yeah. There was a person that was killed. Yeah. That, that was already, I think the motivation was already used in the trial for murder. Yeah. So it's, it's like, oh, I'm going to murder you harder. Yeah. It, it doesn't, <laughs> like the, guy, the guy's dead. You know, yeah. and that's uh, and that's unfortunate. And we're against death. We haven't stated that in a while, but we are against death here. This is the podcast against death. Mm-hmm. With a, the OG people, Antita. Antita. Yeah, I couldn't remember what the name of it is. So if you want to join Antita, then go to goodmorningliberty.locals.com. Pay as little as five bucks a month, and you can hang out with us in the live group, like we've been hanging out today for the past twenty-five minutes, talking about God knows what. I don't know. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of things. Every once in a while today, by the way, you might hear a bunch of noise in the background. That's because of climate change. It's <laughs> and so if you hear it, then that's what's going on. There's a little can, bit of climate change. You can now hear climate yeah, change. Yeah, you can. It's audible. It's, <laughs> that's right. It's like, don't look up. Well, we know. talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning on this show every single day of the week when we want to, sometimes on Sunday even. <laughs> Usually it's Nate with a Sunday special episode to mm-hmm. steal from Ben Shapiro there. Sometimes we place those little nuggets out there for you every once in a while. And the live group signed up on Locals, they get even more than what you get on the free podcast. It's free. Everything we do is free. You can listen to some ads sometimes. But uh, if you want to support the show, it's only five bucks a month, going up to six dollars soon. GoodMorningLiberty.locals.com. Get in there and argue with Joe and Costco and Amanda and all of our friends. I, I don't. I don't have time to name everyone's names at this point because there's so many of them, so many friends. Yeah, uh, we appreciate every single one of you, but not enough to reach that new upload limit on locals. So make sure that you yeah. uh, make sure you go <laughs> there and sign up. We need it. Okay, that's what pays for all of the uh, lap dances for the big guy. And for all of the, the nice the nice office and studio that we have, it all comes from locals right there, amongst other things. Uh, so make sure you do that. I was going to say, by the way, if you came here to hear uh, our analysis on the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation that is going on right now, then you're going to be very disappointed because I've, I have nothing to say on the issue. Let okay. me sum it up for, the, for everyone real quick. Putin's like, hey, man, I'm want to come over and, and, you know, get my land back. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, no, man, we don't want to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, well, I mean, we're, we we got a lot of energy stuff going on through there. We got the Crimea 
peninsulas, <laughs> and uh, we wanted to go through there. And Biden's like, well, my my numbers are plummeting because I don't know how to talk and I uh, got dementia. And so I need to tell people that this is going to happen. Putin's like, yeah, I'm not going to invade. I'm just going to put troops here. And Ukraine's like, oh, yeah, you're not going to invade. We're just going to put troops here too. And we're going to ask the UN for that. And then Putin's like, oh, yeah, I might invade on Tuesday, yeah, uh, which is today, by the way. And then uh, early reports that he, uh, the latest indication is that he's not going to invade. Well, or that he is. And so, exactly. Yeah, we don't know. So that's what's happening right now. Putin's like, yeah, I, mean, I might do it. I'm not going to do it. No, that was a good summary. Mm-hmm. That's actually exactly what's going on. Um, you know, I didn't think that we had done that much research on it, but it is clear that you've been researching this very heavily. Let's move on to something that we are prepared <laughs> to speak about. All right, this from The Guardian. Canada extends emergency powers after trucker blockades in, uh, ended. Of course, because there's nothing like emergency powers for the mm-hmm. government. And this is the danger of these things. This is what libertarians or liberty-minded people have been talking about for so long about how the government will get their emergency powers and they'll never give them away. We have they no historical examples of this ever happening. Never, yeah, exactly. This is a complete shock to everyone. So Canadian lawmakers have voted to extend the emergency powers that police can invoke to quell any potential restart of blockades by those opposed to COVID-19 restrictions and for anything else that we deem appropriate, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, Trudeau said earlier that the powers were still needed to dis- uh, needed despite police ending the occupation of the nation's capital by truckers over the weekend. Bill Blair, the country's emergency preparedness minister, said... That- <laughs> that's that's Sorry, a position, a, yeah. by the way. Canada has an emergency preparedness minister, said the protesters were going for the, quote, lifeblood of this nation, which is trade with the United States. Um, of course, of course they were. That's, that was the plan. They said that was the plan. Mm-hmm. They never, they weren't trying to hide it. Now um, I'm ready for U.S. truckers to block the same bridge only from the U.S. side just to see what happens. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just think <laughs> just to stick it in the face of the Canadian government, just block it from the other side. Let's so, see. Trudeau noted there were some truckers just outside Ottawa who might be planning further blockades or occupations. His public safety minister, so this is a different guy, <laughs> said there was an attempt to block a border crossing in British Columbia over the weekend. Mm. So what if the U.S. truckers block the same one? They have reports of someone trying to block a border crossing. Mm-hmm. So this is an emergency. Mm-hmm. You can tell. They, they need these emer- There's no other powers that they have to try and stop this. It's not as if they already cleared the blockade of the bridge before the emergency powers were even enacted in the first place, by the way. They already blocked that that bridge, whatever it was called. I can't remember what the name of the bridge is. Uh, it's the bridge, by the way, that we went across to Canada that day that we decided to go really? over to Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one that they were that they were blocked. That was before you had to have a passport. Yeah, you and just had so to have we your license and none of us had passports, and we we went we over got there. Some free yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Free yes, there. And uh, so they had already cleared this out, uh, but this this is what governments do. This is not a surprise. And uh, who knows how long they're going to hold on. And likely what they'll do is they'll, even when it does expire, they're going to retain some of the other powers somehow because it's just too dangerous for them to get rid of them. These are not crazy, bold prediction conspiracy theories. It's just what governments do. We have plenty of historical examples. I was listening to, um, is it Majid on Joe Rogan's podcast? Uh, 
Majid is how is Majid. how said it. Okay. Is how Rogan was saying it. I would have said it otherwise. But I was listening to him, and he was talking about how Egypt extended they uh, they extended their emergency powers after their president was assassinated in 1981. Um, all the way up, I mean, still enacted. Their emergency powers are still enacted. And basically, they um, put a stop to these, the liberties that you had in the Egyptian constitution, mm-hmm. with their emergency powers. And so they will use anything that they can. Our founding fathers talked about this <laughs> back in the 1700s, okay? Now, why would governments enact emergency powers? Well, in Canada, similar around the world, the Emergency Act allows authorities to declare certain areas as no-go zones, it allows police uh, to freeze truckers' personal and corporate bank accounts and compel tow truck companies to haul away vehicles, among a lot of other things. Because if they can freeze truckers' personal and corporate bank accounts, they can freeze anyone's personal and corporate bank accounts. Yeah, if, if you're you aiding, against. if you're if you're aiding the enemy, if you're supporting mm-hmm. domestic terrorism, exactly. Ottawa protesters who vowed never to give up are largely gone, chased away by police in riot gear in what was the biggest police operation in the nation's history. Nation's history. Quote, the situation is still fragile. The state of emergency is still there. It's an emergency. Trudeau said before the vote. The New Democratic Party's leaders said there are protesters waiting in the area surrounding Ottawa and in the capital itself. Now what they could do... in the shadows. What they could do, since it's an emergencies act... And he just decided to uh, use this and enact it overnight one time. If there are people waiting to come back in, well, they could let it expire right now. And if another emergency does arise, then he would just go back and use it again. But that's not what they want to do. They want to use it the whole time. They want to keep the power forever. Oh. So this Democratic Party leader, he said, quote, this is an attack on our democracy. <laughs> because these people voted for a shot, obviously. Yeah. This is a group of folks who are very clearly connected to the extreme right wing. The organizers clearly have a goal in mind to undermine democracy. That's something we can't allow to continue. Isn't it weird how this just happens everywhere? Always. It's amazing. And it's because it's not the, it's not, specific to the government itself. It's specific to human beings. And that's why you typically see these same trends occur no matter what the system is. You still see the same trends because it's the human beings that have these tendencies, not the actual system. Well, there's an easy way to get out of this, says Finance Minister Christia Freeland. She said earlier, anyone affected has an easy way to have their accounts unfrozen. Quote, stop being a part of the blockade. Which reminds me of Jim Carrey's Liar Liar. (laughs) Stop breaking the law, asshole. (laughs) That's as easy as that, folks. Stop participating in the blockade and this uh, tyrannical uh, attempted coup of of overthrowing the government by these right-wing extremists. Quote, while we will always defend people's right to an opinion, expression, and assembly... There are limits to rights when they begin to impact so severely on the rights of others, and we saw that here in Ottawa, said Blair. Infringing on rights is the government's job. Yeah. That's, that's from you. It's in red. That's... <laughs> yeah. It's words spoken directly from me. That's how you know that they're, they're in that red. They're from me. They're highlighted in red. I don't know where oh, I got funny. that idea. Now, 
this kind of goes back to our conversation yesterday a little bit that there are limits to rights when they begin to impact so severely on the rights of others. Um, and so go back to yesterday's episode if you want to hear about that conversation. I don't think that's totally wrong. Here's the, here's the issue in that, well, <clears throat> aside from that principled conversation that we, uh, that we tried to iron out yesterday, is the Canadian government in any position to chastise someone for infringing on other people's rights at all? This is the problem when you when you let go of the, your principles, you don't have your principal leg to stand on, like like Charlie's dad doesn't have either one of his principal leg to stand Does on. He got diabetes. Yeah, and so uh, you you come out there and you say, oh, these people are taking away people's rights. Later on, they're going to say, oh, they caused businesses to be shut down. Like they're they're harming our democracy. They cause businesses to shut down. Is the government in any position to make that argument? Right. After the last couple of years at all. Now, two wrongs don't make a right, Mm -hmm. as as people have often said. But I don't like hearing this from them. Them all of a sudden acting like they care about people's rights to travel. For instance, let me let me let's just throw this out there for your the principled conversation, which is you have the right to self defense, right? Mm -hmm. But are you responsible for a stray bullet that kills a, a two-year-old kid in your act of self-defense? Did that kid have a right to life? No, the manufacturer is responsible for that, That's, Charlie. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> so when you're practicing a right, there are limitations, and that limitation comes with responsibility. Yeah. Um, and so th- think about any other rights that you have, any, any of them. I'm right? just The hypocrisy here, like, oh, people have the right to freely travel – as long as you get this uh, permission slip from the government that we've given you saying that you took this uh, medication that doesn't do anything to protect anyone else around you whatsoever, then you have a right to travel and have your business open. Well, I don't do agree with stuff, that. You know? I don't agree I know. with that. That doesn't change the principled yeah. conversation. I know. what I the, the Just like someone else said here, oh, Captain Pfizer, Chuck, isn't on the side <laughs> of mandates. Did you have Pfizer or Moderna? I can't remember. I got Pfizer. Oh, that's I'm right. not on the side of mandates. <laughs> I've been against mandates the whole time. I don't know. I remember listening back. You've been pretty pro-mandate this don't, whole time. <laughs> listen to yeah. all the episodes. He said if he had to get the shot, everyone else should too. You, you guys heard it, okay? I started blockading Nashville. It's on the tape. That's what happened. <laughs> Go back and listen. Um, okay. But anyway, just think, I just want people to think about that, okay? Like, if I am defending myself or practicing any other rights, it, I, they can only go so far as to make sure I don't infringe on anyone else's rights. If I, if I defend myself and end up killing Nate, I'm defending someone else, not Nate. Nate's not my attacker, but he happens to be in the vicinity, and I end up killing him. I'm responsible for that. I ended his right to life. For no reason at all. And so there, there becomes a limitation. I just can't start spraying my gun around, what, which is hard to do with that 40-round Glock. Yeah, it's, wep- it's heavy. it's a weapon of war. Yeah. Just, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have a level on it yet, so it just mm-hmm. constantly goes everywhere. Um, so you got to be careful of those things. We uh, were in 1776. Chuck would be a loyalist. Oh, God. <laughs> you got to pay your stamp? You got to pay your tax, okay? <laughs> your two cents. It's in the law. It's right there. It's written down. 
I can't believe this is what you guys get from this. This is what you guys. I know exactly. I'm the one that brought this up a few weeks ago, by the way. I I initiated the conversation. I brought about, it up the first time we about, talked about about it. whether or not we were being hypocritical. And and so, but I am having a good time just giving you a hard time, of course. I love yeah. it. I look great in red. <laughs> You're always red. Uh, if you watch the video, you'll see that Charlie's always a little bit red, and that's because he has a chronic allergy to something. We don't know what it said. is. That's what the doc said. Mm -hmm. The protests, which were aimed at a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for cross-border truckers, but also encompassed fury over the range of restrictions, reflected the spread of disinformation in Canada and simmering, sim, uh, simmering populist and right-wing anger. <laughs> God. It reflected the spread of disinformation in Canada. Yeah. That's why they had the, that's why they were upset. It was because of disinformation. You see, they had read somewhere that you had the right to decide what went in your body and what you could do in your own property and all that. Then that was disinformation is what that was. That's clearly obvious. Well, and the shots don't work and, you know, it's all. Well, it's not even the, yeah, I mean, all that's not even misinformation too. anymore. It's disinformation. But even if the shots do work, you still get to choose. <clears throat> Trudeau said people in Ottawa were harassed for weeks and said billions of dollars in trade were stalled by the border blockades, putting people's jobs at risk. A flood of misinformation and disinformation washed over Canada, including from foreign sources, Trudeau said. After these illegal blockades and occupations received disturbing amounts of foreign funding to destabilize Canada's democracy, it became clear that local and provincial authorities needed more tools to restore order. Therefore, we have our unending emergency powers and we can do whatever we want. He's just restoring order to the to the republic, Charlie. That's that's really all he's doing. So, okay. Um, we'll see how long they keep these emergency powers. And what I would assume is that some of these emergency powers that they won't want to give up are going to end up being codified in some type of an anti-domestic terrorism law or some type of new department or ministry or whatever, uh, where they can end the Emergencies Act because it's not politically popular, but a lot of those powers will still remain uh, in place afterwards. That would be, there's my crazy prediction for the situation. <laughs> Jeff is on top of it. Look at that. You guys got to join a live group. Go to goodmorningliberty.locals.com. It's worth it. It's worth oh. it. Okay, the next, the next one. <laughs> where's my defenders? Come on. <laughs> you don't get any defense on this, man. Feeling low. Nope. The CDC. Defense on what? I, <laughs> I'm not part of, I'm not a government shill. Oh. I'm just totally letting you take the heat for this, too. Of, of course you will. Yeah, I'm fine to do that. Whenever there's a bus, Nate's the first one to throw yeah. me under it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, you hate the truckers, I understand. But. <laughs> okay, the CDC. This is from the New York Times. Once again, our trust in our public officials and our nice bureaucracy that we have. It's a beautiful bureaucracy that we have. The CDC isn't publishing large portions of the COVID data it collects. Weird. I'll sum it up for you. They're worried that people, that it will um, undermine the effectiveness argument of the vaccine. Mm. For more than a year, the CDCP has collected data on hospitalizations for COVID-19 and broken it down by age, race, and vaccination status. But it has not made most of the information public. 
When the CDC published the first significant data on the effectiveness of boosters in adults younger than 65, it left out the numbers for a huge portion, 18 to 49-year-olds, the group least likely to benefit from the extra shots. This is from the New York Times, once again, because the first two doses already left them well-protected. Their age... So how can they just the decide not to make the information public? For your safety. This, and, this, and this is why there's so, such a lack of trust mm-hmm. in the institutions, um, because you shouldn't trust them. No. That's, ac- that's actually what I'm trying to say. Despite what you may say about me, you shouldn't <laughs> trust a single thing that they say, because you can't. I mean, you're a libertarian on some issues. What? <laughs> two full years into the pandemic... The agency leading the country's response to the public health emergency has published only a tiny fraction of the data it's collected. Detailed, timely data on hospitalizations by age and race would help health officials identify and help the populations at highest risk. Information on hospitalizations and death by age and vaccination status would have helped inform whether healthy adults needed booster shots. There's your why. Mm-hmm. We don't need to go any further than there's the why right there. Information on hospitalizations and death by age and vaccination status would have helped inform whether healthy adults needed booster shots. But that, by default, they need them. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to publish any of this data because they don't want anybody to be skeptical of whether or not they need a booster shot. Because the science says you need it, regardless. Without the booster data for 18 to 49-year-olds, the outside experts whom federal health agencies look to for advice had to rely on numbers from Israel to make their recommendations on the shots. Kristen Nordland, a spokeswoman for the CDCP, said the agency has been slow to release the different streams of data, quote, because basically, at the end of the day, it's not ready for prime time. She said the agency's priority when gathering any data is to ensure that it's accurate and actionable. Accurate and actionable, by the way. Now, how are they making any recommendations if the data they have isn't accurate and actionable? What, what recommendations are they making? They just don't want to post the data. Another reason is fear that the information might be misinterpreted because you guys are all idiots. And it doesn't fit the agenda. Did you watch that video I sent you, by the way? No. I watched that. Yeah. Um, the, Dr. Daniel Jernigan, the agency's deputy director for public health science and surveillance, said the pandemic exposed the fact that the data systems at the CDCP and the state levels are outmoded and not up to handling large volumes of data. CDC scientists are trying to modernize the systems, he said. Trust the government with the pandemic, though. God bless them. They just had no, the CDC had no idea that they needed to uh, move up from that uh, old COBOL database that they've been using since the 50s. You know, there's just no way they can do this. It's not possible. We don't have thousands of companies with massive databases out there that handle all this data. They need to get old Palantir out there to help out with the CDC. Palantir just got a contract for COVID stuff. They get a lot of government contracts. They might have been part of this because they just got a billion dollar budget to fix their data systems. A billion dollars. All right. The CDC also has multiple bureaucratic divisions, bureaucratic divisions that must sign off on important publications. And its officials must alert the Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees the agency and the White House of their plans. The performance of vaccines and boosters, particularly in young adults, is among the most glaring omission in data the CDC has made public. Last year, the agency repeatedly came under fire for not tracking breakthrough infections and vaccinated Americans. 
So that was another thing. They didn't want you to know about the breakthrough infections. Instead, they just focused on people that were hospitalized that were vaccinated because that data was way more favorable. Then, guys, see what's they didn't post about the breakthrough, breakthrough infections, what they had, which they had the data on. They only posted the data once people made it to the hospital or they died. The reason is that the vaccine was doing a pretty good job, is doing a pretty good job against keeping people out of the hospital or keeping them from dying. What it was not doing a good job of was keeping people from spreading the disease around or from getting the disease or the infection. And at the same time, the government was trying to enact vaccine mandates over corporations and the rest of the country. So why would the CDC post this information while the government is arguing that everyone should be forced to get the vaccine if they want to earn a living? Mm. They can't do those two things at the same time because the data would have undermined that idea. And the CDC has to report to the president, by yeah. the way. So Department of Health and Human Services, which reports to the president. So if it doesn't meet the agenda, then it doesn't get approved. <clears throat> so that's how this whole thing works. Now, if the CDC was an independent body that we got to vote for, right, and wasn't part of this administrative coup, <laughs> it's not the right Assault word. Assault on our democracy. Exactly. Then, um, then we could have a different outcome, potentially. I mean, but the problem is, is that it all has to be, as they said, it has to be signed off on by the Health and Human Services, which oversees the agency, and the White House. Mm-hmm. So their plans to publish data or not publish data has to have the okay from the president. If it doesn't fit the agenda, they won't do it. This is what, this is the biggest danger that we have with these agencies. Okay, it's because we 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 aren't we will never be privy to what's going on behind closed doors. And these people are unelected, and they get to stay in there forever. You know. I'm not a, the biggest fan of term limits, but um, t- term limits or the equivalent for people that work inside of the bureaucracy, I think would be a great thing. I, th- I think that would be good. Yeah. A maximum of uh, 10 years that you can work there. That's it. After that, you're gone. See ya. No pension either because that's theft. So <laughs> <clears throat> just gone. Go get another job. Okay. Another reason they said is that the data represents only 10% of the population, but... The New York Times points out the CDC has relied on that same level of sampling to track the flu for years. Uh, They said, we've been begging, this is from uh, an epidemiologist, we've been begging for that sort of granularity of data for two years. And they're running... This is also one of the biggest complaints from like Dr. Malone and and, uh, Dr. McCullough on Joe Rogan's podcast, which was they weren't giving the data out. Like how the doctors weren't able to create protocols or understand what the treatment was or anything like this because the FDA and the CDC were hogging the data and they weren't um, giving it out. And not only that, the things that were working, like um, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, uh, mainly at this time what they were talking about was hydroxychloroquine, um, they were basically, the government was stockpiling it and not allowing allowing anyone to access it. And then also saying that it wasn't part of the treatment protocol and that you couldn't use it. And this was one of the biggest complaints there. And so all of the, a lot of these epidemiologists now finally are coming out saying, Hey, we're begging for this data. You know, like we we're trying to figure out what's going on. Also that they should censor Joe Rogan. Epidemiologists are all coming out doing those two things at the same time. Um, The same epidemiologist, uh, Jessica Rivera, said a a detailed analysis builds public trust and paints a much clearer picture of what's actually going on. 
podcast. Yeah, that would be important, Duh. I feel like. Concern about the misinterpretation of hospitalization data broken down by vaccination status is not unique to the CDCP. I'm adding in the P there all the time. By the way, it's not there, but I just think it sounds more like CCP. On Thursday, <clears throat> public health officials in Scotland said that they would stop releasing data on COVID hospitalizations and deaths by vaccination status because of similar fears that the figures would be misinterpreted by anti-vaccine groups. Now, part of this, now you should still release the data. They could just make the point because when you hide the data and you say you're not going to give it to anyone, then you're going to fuel all the speculation. Now, we've already made this point that if you have a, we'll just use an extreme. If you have a society that is 99% vaccinated and, it, and we know it's not stopping people from getting the infection, then if you look at the hospitals and you say, well, 75% of the people in the hospital are vaccinated. Well, there's hardly any unvaccinated people in the population. So the sample size that you're pulling from is from almost all vaccinated people. So while there might be, uh, you know, while there, while there might be technically a higher chance of you getting it or whatever, or going, being hospitalized, being unvaccinated, your sample rate is so off that it, w- it would skew the data. And that's a true thing. We brought this up months ago. But just tell people that and then put the data out. When you try to hide it, you create all of this speculation that they are trying to just censor then after that while they're censoring their own data. People are speculating why, and then they try to censor those people afterwards. Just put the data out there. Say, hey, actually, uh, if you take one single statistics class, you'll realize what's going on with the data right here. You can, you can uh, trust people to not be complete idiots. And by the way, you run the schooling system, so if they, if they are complete idiots, and that's on you. Okay. Instead of purposefully hiding it, because then it just makes everything worse. Yeah. Um, they, uh, the experts dismissed, the experts they spoke to, dismissed the potential misuse or misinterpretation, misinterpretation of data as an acceptable reason for not releasing it. They dismissed it as an acceptable reason. It's also been difficult to find CDC data on the proportion of children hospitalized for COVID who have had other medical conditions, which is data that they also have. The Academy staff asked their partners at the CDC for that information on a call in December, and the CDC said that that data was unavailable. It's unavailable to a post, basically, is what they mean by that. It wasn't because the data wasn't ready. It's because the systems and how it physically displayed on the page wasn't working the way that they wanted it to. We are two years into this thing. and It's 2022. They can't get the data organized in a chart on their website. Okay. Everyone got that? The CDC has received more than $1 billion to modernize its systems, which may help pick up the pace. Uh, it gets really exhausting. This, uh, see, Ms. Nordland said, it gets really exhausting when you see the private sector working faster than the premier public health agency of the world. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah. That's all the proof you need, folks. That's all the proof you need. That yep. we need things to be more private. Um, and now, why is it? that the private sector is better at things. Uh, because they have an incentive to be better at things. Corporate greed. Yeah, just corporate greed. Corporate greed, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and does the government have any incentive to be, was to work faster or no. better? No. No, they don't because they can do things like this. In it fact, still doesn't matter yeah. to them because they're not going to lose their job over the fact that they didn't put data out, unlike Google or Facebook or any other company that didn't put their data out. Could you imagine... Could you imagine the CEOs of companies coming out 
for their Q4 results and be like, yeah, we just don't, I couldn't display the financials correctly. So we just can't report our Q4. Yeah. Can't uh, get our website to work, man. It looks weird on the thing. And then for two years, you just don't have those Q4 results. Like, man, sorry, I just can't get the data to to work right. Could you imagine? Just imagine if my wife, who's a financial analyst, talking to the CFO, goes, yeah, I just can't show you that expense data because uh, you're going to misinterpret it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I don't want you to misuse any of this data, so I'm just not going to show it to you. You know, and they told investors that the same. Yeah, so at the, the shareholder CFO, meeting. So yeah. then the CFO came out on the call, and be like, "Look, I, we have the data, <laughs> we got it, but it's you guys don't want to read. It's going to freak you guys out. So I'm just not going to show we it. Don't, to you. you don't want to yeah. read these flat files. No, okay? our business is healthy. It's fine. Yeah, we're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you say that again, I'm going to kick you out, sir. I just can't show you the data because you're going to misinterpret it. Yeah, yeah. And all you conspiracy theorists saying that we're actually tanking right now, well, you're just crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, that would never happen. There's no incentive for that I, to happen. It did happen. It was called Enron. Well, yeah. I mean, okay, it barely <laughs> happens. Yeah. It was called Enron, and they went uh, kind of. I you mean, know, it's a just off on Enron. You know, you mention stuff like this, and I'm like, well, this never happens. And people are like, Enron. I'm like, okay, name another one. Right. Name, name five. Do me a favor. There's millions of businesses name five of these instances off the top of your head right now. Well, we can't name because the government put a stop to it. Now. Yeah, that's, that's right. Why. They stopped it. <laughs> they fixed it. Just you said it said it's never happened. I was just saying that's that true. There is yeah, one. I used an absolute. It, it that was, was wrong. Similar. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Listen, relationships take work. We all know that. And we all know that we would drop everything to go help someone that we care about. Just think someone in your family or one of your friends is going through a tough time. You'd do anything to help them. But how often do you give yourself the same treatment? This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to take care of your most important relationship, the one you have with yourself. Whether it's hitting the gym, making time for that haircut, or even trying therapy. You are your greatest asset. So invest the time and effort into yourself like you do for other people. Now, Charlie has been using BetterHelp for quite a long time. He has really enjoyed it. I've used it as well. And let me tell you, some of the most important moments of my life happened when I was talking to someone about what was going on. I still remember the things that I was told to this day. Just imagine if you could get that same thing and how much it would help. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Good Morning Liberty listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com GML. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash G-M-L. All right, next up from the New York Times. Uh, again, Nate, you just been scouring the New York well, Times I, lately. I had a couple other things in between. This one I've been saving for a couple days because okay. it's a farmer thing. and um, Nate's a farmer <laughs> at heart. At heart. Mm. I, got, I grew up, I had a couple different growing up stories. Which is weird. I feel like I've got multiple, like I grew up on a farm and I grew up in a trailer park. Mm-hmm. Those are both true. It Isn't is. that weird? 
like different sides of my brain, I guess. Both were trailers. That's true, too. Yeah. Just not a trailer park. Yeah. Okay. Now, your dad's does have like a house built mm-hmm. connected to his trailer. Yeah. It's interesting. Built a house onto the trailer. Yeah, he added an addition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a basement. He built a basement in a, in a house, basically, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a little, little house and connected it to the trailer. It's a nice place. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's fun. The whole basement's full of cowboys gear, signed jerseys, all kinds There's of stuff. There's astroturf on the on the floor. It's a uh, it's legit hangout. Mm-hmm. Never watch the games down there. No, never. <laughs> always watch the games with you and your dad in the living room. Yep. But anyway, uh, this is from the New York Times. Black farmers fear foreclosure as debt relief remains frozen. You remember that whole debt forgiveness thing that was going to happen, you know? Now, there's a interesting scenario going on with this where I think they're going to have some potential grievances with the government because of what the government did. But anyway. For Brandon Smith, a fourth-generation cattle rancher from Texas, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package that President Biden signed into law nearly a year ago was long-awaited relief. Little did he know how much longer he would have to wait. The legislation included $4 billion of debt forgiveness for black and other socially disadvantaged farmers, a group that has endured decades of discrimination from banks and the federal government. Mr. Smith, a black father of four who owes about $200,000 in outstanding loans on his ranch, quickly signed and returned documents to the agriculture department last year, formally accepting the debt relief. He then purchased more equipment for his ranch, believing that he had been given a financial lifeline. Now, first off, the 200K in outstanding loans he has on his ranch, not very much. That's not, no. Not, not a for, lot. For a farmer. Also, why would you go ahead and purchase new equipment before you got the money? Mm. That's Well, he was taking out new money, basically. He thought that his debt that he currently had had been forgiven. But and he, so he was taking out new loans. Wasn't forgiven on new yet. Stuff. Yeah, well, he got a letter saying that it was going to be forgiven. I'm saying there's a little bit of a leeway here for some grievances against the government. Yeah, it's true. Because they sent out letters saying that stuff was forgiven or that okay. it was going to be forgiven. I haven't gotten there yet. You know? so. Instead, Mr. Smith has fallen deeper into debt. Months after signing the paperwork, he received a notice informing him that the federal government intended to accelerate foreclosure on his 46-acre property and cattle if he did not start making payments on the loans he believed, he believed had been forgiven. Quote, I trusted the government that we had a deal. There's down, the problem. Mm-hmm. And down here at the end of the day, the rug gets pulled out from under me. Mr. Smith, 43, said in an interview. Courts in Wisconsin and Florida have issued preliminary injunctions against the initiative, siding with plaintiffs who argued that the debt relief amounted to discrimination and could therefore be illegal. A class action lawsuit against the USDA is proceeding in Texas this year. The legal limbo has created a new and unexpected financial strains for black farmers, many of whom have been unable to make investments in their businesses given ongoing uncertainty about their debt loads. The, the legal... So this thing, the, the forgiveness for uh, socially disadvantaged farmers or whatever it is, has created a new uh, unexpected financial strain for black farmers. Now imagine that. <laughs> It's listen. It's not really funny, but it kind of is. Yeah, it, because they were. <laughs> there's always these unintended consequences, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like the government makes things worse when they try to do things. So, like the black farmers who weren't really uh, in that much of a, a predicament, have now found themselves in a full fledged kerfuffle. Yeah, 
It's a classic kerfuffle. The law was intended to help remedy years of discrimination that non-white farmers have endured, including land theft and the rejection of loan application by banks and the federal government. The program designated aid to about 15,000 borrowers who receive loans directly from the federal government or have their bank loans guaranteed by the USDA. Those eligible, those eligible included farmers and ranchers who have been subject to racial or ethnic prejudice, including those who are black, Native American, Alaskan, Native, Asian American, Pacific Islander, or Hispanic. Now, there, there was some discrimination and things that had happened. Um, obviously, we, we went through uh, slavery and then Jim Crow and segregation and those different types of things. So those things did happen. Did uh, they happen to this guy, though? And that's what I'm that that's what I'm saying. Did it happen to this generation? Yeah. The answer is no. It could it could have, but on an individual by individual basis, there could be plenty of stories of this still happening. Like you're in a small town, like at a local bank, and uh, the 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 uh, old white guy running the bank's a racist or something like that. Mm. But this is a problem with like a big blanket thing. We don't even know about this. There. Rest assured, if they could have included a personal story about the discrimination on loans that this guy had had previously, it would have been included in the article, mm. but it wasn't. So why was his debt getting forgiven? What does he have to do with any of the past injustices that had happened to people at all? The only thing it said was he was a fourth generation farmer. So it could have happened to his parents or his grandparents or great grandparents. Yeah. Likely his great grandparents for sure. Um, so for black farmers who have seen their ranks fall from more than a million to fewer than 40,000 in the last century amid industry consolidation, not just black farmers, by the way, yeah, all I, farmers. I looked at the data on this, by the way, on a percentage basis, uh, the amount of white farmers has actually declined by more than the amount of black farmers. And, uh, that's uh, the data is there. We did, we talked about that in the podcast episode, like probably when this first came out that they were going to do this, but I looked into that. And uh, the overall, the amount of people who are farming has declined over that time period by a lot because you used to have to farm, like if you wanted food. So you go from a time where you didn't have all the industrialization and way more people in town had the farm. And then as that's the, the equipment became more and more sophisticated, obviously you didn't need as many people farming anymore. One person could grow enough food that could feed three or four people. So they're all, they're, Already and when starting. You, you were getting, you know, ten bushels of corn an acre, and now you're getting a hundred. Yeah, or forty or fifty, whatever. It, it was is. Uh, like fifty to two hundred and twenty or so, something right. like that. So now you yeah. the amount of land that you need and people working that land is way less than mm -hmm. what it used to be. And and the people working the land too is the other important. We used to have to have a lot of people out in the fields working all the land, and now you got these massive pieces of equipment that can do this, and. and and so the overall amount of farmers has declined by a lot. And you can blame that on companies buying up farms and stuff, but those farmers sold to those companies. That's, uh, that's one thing. And also, it's not immediately obvious that we'd be better off if there were as many farmers right now as there were in the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. In fact, everything would probably be a lot more expensive And uh, as far as all the food goes. And so we've gone to a more efficient time for farming, and that has been very beneficial for billions of people. And this this automatic argument that they're making that uh, the amount of black farmers have seen their ranks fall from a million down to 40,000, it's already on a false premise uh, because the, the entire group of farmers has fallen. 
the percentage of white farmers has fallen more than the percentage of black farmers. And overall, we don't need as many farmers as we used to. So there's a lot of stuff right there in that sentence. Somebody says the disappointment is not surprising. John Boyd, president of the National Black Farmers Association, said that rather than hearing about more government reports on racial equity, black farmers want to see results. So that sums it up there for you. Bailey asks, why jump into debt when you just got out of it, regardless of if you believe it to be forgiven? That was kind of what I brought up to begin with is like, why not wait to see if it's been forgiven? Because there is good debt. I mean, if you can... If you can make more of a return than what the debt cost you to have that now, then obviously that's that's considered good debt. Yeah, if You're you making can making an investment that's going to pay off more later on down the road. So there might be a piece of equipment that he could get. Now he's a cattle farmer, so it's a little different from like the farm uh, that that my family has. But there might be a piece of equipment that you can get that would make your land more productive. In, in whether way that he was wanting to get already, but he couldn't get it because of all the debt that he already had versus the value of the land and, and all of that. And, and so when this was uh, written off or whatever that forgiven, and he said, okay, I can finally get that new piece of equipment that I was, that I was going to get to make everything more. So in one way, I'm, I'm interested in whether or not now this is going to come back to bite the administration by farmers who like this guy suing the administration for telling them that the loans were forgiven and then them not actually being forgiven, or if it's going to mean that they're going to have to at least forget. I don't know what they're going to do. And I'm not saying that that would be right because who, who forgives it, who pays for it? It gets paid for one way or another, either by this guy or by the taxpayers. And so it's not my responsibility to do this. And I didn't tell the government that they need to do this. So I think only Democrats should have to pay for this. <laughs> Honestly, Nancy Pelosi's stock, stock trades. Whatever whatever you vote, to be a reason for removing the secrecy, whatever you vote, you're financially liable for whatever happened during that person's term. <laughs> Man, good thing I wasn't eligible to vote. Like a share, Bush. like a shareholder, basically, when you're putting this person in, in the power, yeah. you know? Anyway. Wars are expensive. They are pretty expensive, so maybe <laughs> we wouldn't have gone into them. You know, that's true. Because then that person would just be gone immediately. And the person after them would learn from that. Mm -hmm. You know, that is true. Anyway. All right, y'all. Well, if you enjoyed today's episode, then please hit that share button, hit the uh, like and follow button as well. Uh, it's a little plus sign, I believe, on Spotify and Apple podcast. Leave us a rating and review on either one of those platforms. And because uh, those are the only two that allow you to leave a rating and review. And uh, if you do all of that. And share the show with a friend, a colleague, your mother, your farmer in your town, and the children. Then we'll be back again tomorrow. I hope you have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Okay. Um, hang on. Uh, sorry. Oh. <laughs>